why George's Hyundai project is a big deal for Brian Kemp. It was part of a plan that I campaigned on in 2018. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy. We are two of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If this is your first time listening to the Politically Georgia podcast, welcome. And be sure to subscribe and follow the podcast on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Patricia, when we say the most on-the-ground coverage, we're not joking. We introduced something to our website that we haven't used in years, and that is the campaign on-the-trail notebook because... We've, we're at so many different events, and we just figured we needed a new repository. We need a new landing page um, for all the different uh, events that we cover on a daily basis, because not all of them feed into a jolt item or or a bigger story. Sometimes, you know, that's that's our goal, but sometimes there's just an event that's noteworthy to cover just for the event's sake. Yeah, and we're for sure into these final couple of weeks where the campaigns are on the road all the time. They are um, giving their final closing messages to voters, and we want voters to know what those messages are. So does that mean we get in our cars? Yes, it does. Does that mean <laughs> no. you, you stay in hotels and I don't even know where you're staying tonight? Yes, that's what that means. But I think it's super cool. Like this is, to me, this is such a great time of year because people can really, from our coverage, and especially from the campaign notebook, everything doesn't have to be a 2,000 word essay. This is just, these are just snapshots of the trail and what all these candidates are trying to to um, do and say to get people out to the polls in these just hugely important elections coming up. Well, for our listeners who can't see us talking to each other uh, via a Zoom call, essentially, Patricia is in a spacious car with some leather seats in the background, (laughs) so you must be on the road somewhere. And I'm in a hotel room in Savannah with an unmade unmade bed behind me. Yes, the old unmade bed. Um, yes, yeah, so we'll be on the road. Uh, Tia Mitchell has come down from Washington. She's on the road as well. Shannon McCaffrey, who's been covering the Warnock and Walker campaigns, is all over the state. So we'll be um, we'll be all over the place, just like the candidates are, and dropping all that coverage into the campaign notebook, into the podcast here, and into our coverage. So I think I'm I don't want to I don't want to count our chickens before they hatch, but I think I feel like we've got things pretty well covered. Don't jinx it. So coming up on today's. <laughs> episode, we're going to be talking about the political importance of the Hyundai deal. The warnock Ossoff tag team is back and back in action. Stacey Abrams' closing message and the congresswoman who's stumping for Herschel Walker. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. 
Patricia, our producer, Shaney B, has introduced this next segment with a 1-800 number, actually 1-877, Cars for Kemp. (laughs) (laughs) And well, certainly this is a gift for Governor Kemp. Back in May, right before the May primary, he was able to come down to Ella Bell, Georgia, right outside Savannah, and announce the biggest economic development project in the state's history, a $5.5 billion Hyundai Motor Group project that would build eventually thousands of cars, electric vehicles, and conventional engine vehicles from this major plant right outside Savannah. And the groundbreaking for that plant happened to be just two weeks before the November election. So Hyundai helped give him a boost way back in May when he faced a primary opponent in David Perdue. Now he gets another boost two weeks before the election against Stacey Abrams. But there's a lot more than politics at play here too. Um, This is a big deal for Georgia. Savannah area in particular has been pining for an auto plant for decades. 20 years ago, around this time, former then Governor Roy Barnes came to this same city and and announced that Daimler Chrysler would be building vans at a site not far from where where the uh, Hyundai development is going. And of course, that wasn't to come to pass. Uh, That deal evaporated because of economic conditions and because stock market prices and all these other factors But now this is no phantom project here in Savannah. I mean, the work has already been underway for months and just stepping on that site today, you can just see how vast it is. You can't miss it from the interstate when you're driving in on I-16. It is a huge site. It's one of the biggest undeveloped tracts of land that are this this close to highway rail and the port of Savannah. And Patricia, this is going to be a major moment, a game-changing project for this part of coastal Georgia for years to come, because it's going to employ 8,100 people, but you're talking, you know, 10,000 plus spinoff jobs and, and it spawns other jobs in retail and restaurants and other industries. So we're talking about this enormous economic impact for the coastal Georgia region. Yeah. And it's really a great example of the kind of economic development that federal, state and local leaders believed would come when they started to really expand the port of Savannah, the port of Brunswick. It has created this really unbelievable opportunity for the entire area down there and and also, you know, areas much further north, even north of Atlanta. We are talking to executives, manufacturing, all other kinds of all other manners of executives and planners who say that that port of Savannah is crucial to Georgia's economic development. We're seeing all kinds of manufacturing. There's tons of warehousing. There is an entire sort of sub-industry of getting things on and off these boats. And now we're seeing car manufacturers play Placing themselves very, very close to the port so that they can be close to export, they can be close to incoming shipments for their own parts. It's created this really expansive opportunity, but it didn't happen overnight and it didn't happen by accident. And this uh, sort of mega deal that they've been putting together down there in Savannah was a partnership between a local development authority down there, Governor Kemp's office, federal leaders. And when you hear about state and uh, federal leaders going overseas on these trade missions, those always sound a little bit like boondoggles. But what they really are is leaders going to executives at these major manufacturers and saying, we've got this idea. We have a plant. Uh, This particular area was already plumbed. It was already ready for electricity. All they had to do was plop a factory down. And it ended up being a really, really um, a a major, major deal for Brian Kemp's administration. Yeah, this is part of a strategy of just buying these giant state-owned tracts of land. And that's what helped lure Rivian to a state-owned tract of land um, out there in East Atlanta. 
And also there's another state-owned tract of land in Peach County where there's another mega site. But you're right, these ready-made sites have been a boon for economic development. It's also a gamble, right? Because the previous mega site in Pooler ended up kind of just sitting unused for a long time until it was parceled out for Amazon and Mitsubishi. So it's now being used, but for a long time, it was it was kind of just dangling out there as this prized potential prospect for economic development recruiters. Uh, Patricia, this has been something that Democrats have had a hard time messaging around because it's the biggest economic development project in Georgia history. Democrats certainly don't want to knock 8,100 plus jobs coming to Savannah, and these are mostly well-paying, high-paying jobs. But at the same time, We've heard Stacey Abrams, we've heard other Democrats criticize the $1.8 billion incentive package it took to land these jobs, which is yet another record in the in Georgia history. And it absolutely means that the state's putting resources on the table and making a gamble that they will make this money up in the long run, that this will throw off so much economic output in the local area and that will feed into Atlanta and feed into the rest of the state that it will be worth it. But it's, it doesn't come for free. Listen, the state of Georgia is out a huge amount of potential revenue, but then also, um, you know, the calculation is that it will bring in more revenue than it costs. Uh, that very similar argument has been made over in the Rivian plant. They're getting a whole lot more pushback locally there, east of Atlanta, than they are down in southeast uh, Georgia. Um, Although the reality is this is really going to change the feel of the area down there outside of Savannah. It is not going to be, and uh, locals have been told, don't expect that you're going to see your pretty forest untouched on the side of the road anymore. This is going to be a hugely developed area. It will include housing developments, commercial developments, obviously industrial developments. It's going to really change the character of the space down there. But this is also what they say is crucial to rescuing rural Georgia, making sure that there's the resources down there to and the good jobs, you know, good paying jobs down there also. So it's um it's really changing the the nature of this state with all of these huge manufacturing projects. But in a way, it's also sort of the renaissance of manufacturing the state that took a huge hit in the 70s, 80s and 90s as Mm -hmm. a lot of these jobs went overseas. And so to see these jobs that were once uh, textile jobs, sort of old fashioned manufacturing now transformed into EV components, EV actual vehicles. Mm -hmm. It's really fascinating to see. I feel like it's really, it sounds corny to be like, what a time to be alive. I mean, (laughs) what a time to be covering Georgia politics and economics. It is a very transformative phase of it. And Governor Brian Kemp is right there, able to and ready to uh, take credit for a big piece of this finishing bit. And politicians want to, you know, frame Georgia as a magnet for this EV development, not just because of Kemp's policies, but you've also got Senator Warnock, Senator Ossoff. They both not only did they provide some of the crucial votes for the federal infrastructure bill, but also at the same time, they provided the crucial votes for the federal climate change and tax and healthcare measure, which includes incentives to beef up green energy, alternative energy, and these EV vehicles. They were sitting front row at this event, Patricia. And it was a really interesting and to me, unexpected moment when the South Korean ambassador to the U.S., used his speech, at least a part of his speech celebrating Hyundai, to knock the federal climate bill because it includes incentives for electric vehicles, but only those made, manufactured final assembly in North America, which won't happen for this Hyundai plant until 2025. This plant won't be up and running for, for a few more years. 
So Hyundai and South Korean officials feel like the industry is at a disadvantage to other EV manufacturers that are already up and running in the U.S. They worry that their customers and that their business in, broader, in a broader aspect will lose out on these incentives. So there's legislation in the work. Senator Warnock has proposed legislation to tweak that provision so that Hyundai and other manufacturers who are building plants in the U.S. could take advantage of these incentives. He's also urged the Treasury Department to be flexible with how it uh, oversees, how it enforces those restrictions. But certainly it's a sore spot among the South Koreans. It was really, uh, at least I was not expecting a barb there, you know, where, where the South Korean ambassador said that this is straining an otherwise strong relationship between the two countries. I talked to a number of Republicans around the plant, around that groundbreaking, who expressed optimism that in the lame duck session, so before the next group of congressmen members take office, but after the election, that something will happen in regards to that legislation. And I could very well see, especially if we head into a runoff, it would not surprise me whatsoever to see Senate Democrats push this legislation and so that Senator Warnock can kind of take a victory lap at a time where, he, you know, if there is a runoff, a time where he'll, he'll need all sorts of positive attention towards his policies. Oh, absolutely. If there's a runoff, I think we this will be a hugely important piece of the puzzle for Senator Warnock. When, there, when Warnock was between uh, the general election and the runoff, in 20 and 21, that was when this debate over $2,000 stimulus checks came to the mm -hmm. forefront. And there were all kinds of promises made and bills passed um, to give each side a boost going into the polls in the actual runoff election. So I would certainly see that as a big piece of a big selling point for Democrats. If he if this does go to a runoff, he'll need something like that to take this off of the table. I do think, though, had this just passed as an incentive for anybody, first of all, that's not really an incentive because it's for everybody. Um, if this had been for a foreign auto manufacturer for foreign built cars, the absolute blowback on that, I think it is difficult to understate how bananas Republicans would have gone if that if this had happened. And they said, what? you've got to be kidding, made overseas for a foreign manufacturer. These are U.S. taxpayer dollars. That's totally unfair. So you can see why it wasn't in that original bill. However, uh, Georgia has gotten into this unique situation where foreign auto manufacturers are now also constituents. And so it's a really, it's a totally different political play when you've got that kind of a constituent that you're dealing with, the kind of old fashioned, are you American? Are you not American? Uh, that doesn't really work in this scenario. And so I think a more tailored uh, tax credit is probably called for. And especially because it sounds like that would be a phased in tax cut, or rather phased out tax cut would be temporary, while these American made American uh, manufactured and assembled electric vehicles come mm -hmm. online in Georgia. We should note that was only one of several ap joint appearances Senators Warnock and Ossoff, they have hit the campaign trail together again, Patricia, for the first time in earnest since the 2020-2021 runoff campaign and all that led to that. You know, I wrote in my book, I called it a bromance. They kind of both laughed, laughingly called each other uh, the bromance. You know, their campaign advisors really encouraged the tag team because, of course, in 2021, it had to be a tag team. If one of them won and the other lost, then Republicans would control the U.S. Senate. So it was all or nothing for the tandem of Democrats. And we always knew John Ossoff has always been supporting Senator Warnock, of course. He's been out there raising money. He's been out there stumping fundraisers and doing events and touting 
Senator Warnock's campaign. But now we've seen in the final two weeks of the race, the two of them getting together on the campaign stage, rallying voters. They held a uh, canvas rally in Savannah. They'll both be in Dalton later this week to announce the expansion of a solar manufacturer called Q-Cells. And, you know, this is coming at a time where the polls are showing Senator Warnock with in a dead deadlock, basically, neck and neck with Herschel Walker. And this is a time where he is welcoming the added boost of energy, the added momentum that Senator Ossoff can bring to him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, covering these two during the campaign was like covering a buddy cop movie. You know, they were sort of like (laughs) opposites, but best friends. And they called each other brothers. And they really would um, tag team even during campaign events. They had, you know, each of their own sections that they would dig into. And it was just a really seamless operation between those two. After they were elected, they did kind of go their separate ways. I think each of them felt an imperative to build their own independent brand. They didn't want to be just lumped together as the two Democrats. Um, Ossoff also not being up for re-election, just didn't have to do the same kind of stuff, did not have to spend his time fundraising the way that Warnock has. Um, Ossoff also has just had the luxury of time. And I spent some time with him in his D.C. office talking to him about how he got his operation up and running. He just spends a ton of time doing cold calls, going to smaller towns. He just doesn't have that heat of a re-election on him the way Warnock has. So they've not been the tandem duo over the last two years, but it serves both of them very well to be back at it again. And so to see them back on the campaign trail, it's um, a natural, this was certainly going to, it was certainly headed in this direction. But now this is the time with early voting. Ossoff also has not had a single negative ad run against him in a very long time. So he's kind of a nice, you know, he's sort of a breath of fresh air out there for Warnock to be bringing onto the campaign trail. Just a, um, an unsullied Democratic senator who can come out and stump for him. He's equally well-liked on the campaign trail. And I'm sure they're probably, you know, I would say Warnock's probably enjoying having Ossoff out there with him as well. Yeah, that's a really good point, Patricia, because there's been a lot of negative attacks, of course, on Warnock, on Stacey Abrams, and other Democrats. Ossoff has been freer to kind of play the political game how he wants to. He's been reaching out to Republicans. He's gone to events with Agriculture Commissioner Gary Black. He was up in Dalton not that long ago, hanging out with some Republican local officials to announce another big project from Q-Cells. He's been all around the state at different events, not just promoting Democrats, but also working with Republicans. So he's been he's been one of those, you know, kind of Democrats who who feel comfortable going to Republican-leaning areas. And as we talked about it so many times in the show, we've had, you know, Herschel Walker not campaign with Governor Kemp. Governor Kemp wants to run his campaign his own way. So there's Herschel Walker. We've talked about how Stacey Abrams and Senator Warnock are running very different campaigns. Stacey Abrams is embracing Joe Biden for one. Warnock is not. John Ossoff gives Senator Warnock sort of a, you know, an easy way to get that, get a high profile surrogate who Georgians already know, who doesn't have the sort of the same negative attention that some of these other candidates could bring and boost him on the trail in a sort of non-threatening way. Whereas if he was campaigning with Stacey Abrams, there'd be all sorts of stories about how he's doing better than her in the polls and, you know, you name it. John Ossoff is kind of a safe out right now. For sure. And, you know, he's fresh legs. He's fresh legs. He's fresh energy. He's been out doing his own thing. And then to kind of zoom in here at the last two weeks of the election, that's really exactly what you want. If you're on the Warnock team, um, you want that 
tag team, you sort of want to recreate that magic that they had in 2021. These are the two guys who delivered for Georgia Democrats less than two years ago. They want to recreate that momentum and recreate that moment for Warnock going into Election Day. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, in a hotel room in Savannah, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, who is in her car. And where are you? I'm in a Starbucks parking lot. <laughs> Starbucks parking lot? So not as exotic as a Savannah hotel. Not nearly as exotic. Uh, welcome to my world, Greg Bluestein. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. Oh, trust me. I filed many stories from... I have... My friends in the Dunwoody community know where I'll be on certain days if I'm not on the campaign trail. And it's not my office. It's one of several coffee shops around the around my neighborhood. So, you know, I see a familiar cast every Friday at a certain coffee shop and another group every Wednesday at another coffee shop. So trust me. You know I love it. If you get close enough to the Starbucks with your car, you also obviously get their wireless. But although I've spent enough money at Starbucks, I don't feel remotely guilty about that. <laughs> they, they owe you free wireless for life. <laughs> Well, not only are we two road warriors, but we're also two of the Morning Jolt authors. We think the Morning Jolt sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics, and you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts, and your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts, so you always know what's really going on. We want to know what you think is really going on as well. So we would love to know what you think of our podcast. Please click the link in today's episode description and answer a few questions so we'll know how to make this podcast even better. Okay, Patricia, it's weird to say this and there's two weeks left, so this could still change, but we have what the Abrams campaign presented to me as their closing TV message, their last big TV push. Let's listen. This is our time, our moment to move forward beyond the gun violence, the hospital closures, the unaffordable housing. Brian Kemp's Georgia for the wealthiest few. Stacey Abrams is looking out for every Georgian. She'll invest our $6 billion surplus in the fundamentals, education, healthcare, housing, and a good living. Putting more money in your pocket to build one Georgia where everyone has the freedom to thrive. So, Patricia, a couple of things stood out to me about this ad. One is that it's obviously an economic message. You know, it mentions, it refers to Governor Kemp's gun stands and some of his other uh, positions. You know, and as you can see on the screen, it flashes different parts of policy proposals. 
um, different elements of, of her standpoints, of her stances, affordable housing, on the economy, on, on healthcare. It's not to say that she's moving away from other arguments, uh, criticizing Kemp's anti-abortion stance. And others. Those ads are still running all over the airwaves. But she's closing with the, with the message that we've heard all along, which is the economy is the paramount concern for most Georgia voters. And they've acknowledged that. The Kemp campaign has obviously acknowledged that. And so they're leaning into that message in the final weeks of the campaign. Yeah, what struck me about her closing message is it is so similar to her opening message, Um, but it's over the arc of this campaign where we have heard lots of messages and lots of issues. But when you get right back around to it, it is about health care. It's about hospitals closing. Her very first event was at a hospital that had closed in Cuthbert. It is about um, housing costs and just the cost of living here in Georgia and the cost of trying to just make ends meet. And that message at the end, there's one Georgia that if everyone can thrive, the state will thrive. Also, when you watch that ad, it is just a rainbow of diverse faces, uh, Black voters, Indian voters, Asian American, um, white It's just that it is that exact Democratic coalition that we have been hearing about at the very beginning of the campaign. And now here it is at the very end of the campaign. It makes me think maybe this would have been the right message to have throughout the entire campaign. Although, of course, a lot of things have happened between now and then, not the least of which is the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade. Um, But this, to me, seems like the right place for her campaign to be the only argument that will work against Brian Kemp, who's economic message has been very, very strong and successful thus far in the campaign. Um, But there are lots of Georgians out there who can say, yes, it's a strong state economy, but my own economic situation doesn't feel so great. Maybe if I go with Stacey Abrams, things will be better. A side note, you mentioned all the faces in that ad. It's always weird when I see faces that are very familiar to me. <laughs> There's ads Do you know of one anybody of them. in the <laughs> Oh yeah. The, the, one of the families in there, she was part of my lead Atlanta class of 2016, best class ever. So it's, it, I, I joke to one of the Abrams campaign aides, it's always weird seeing a longtime friend of, you, <laughs> of mine you not know? <laughs> leading in that ad. Uh, thanks to lead Atlanta, uh, by the way, an amazing program that I did at the, probably the worst time when I did it in the middle of, I thought this will be quiet. It'll be the 2016 election. I'll, I'll be doing some stuff, but it won't be crazy. And that was, of course, before um, I ended up on the road for most of the 2016 election. Um, that's a separate note. But you mentioned um, Stacey Abrams' other closing arguments and something she's leaning into very hard and something that, you know, is not surprising to anyone who's, who watched the 2018 campaign. It's voter ballot access, voting rights, and what she calls voter suppression. Um, you know, this was a dominant theme in the 2018 election because back then, of course, governor was the secretary of state who oversaw elections. And Stacey Abrams, her, one of her biggest uh, parts of her resume was as a national voting rights advocate. That, that's kind of how she made a national name at that time. You know, it's always been an undercurrent. Voting rights has, of course, not been far from the spotlight, but it's not been the center. It still really isn't because economy is still dominating everything. But certainly at campaign stops, Patricia, at events all around the state, Stacey Abrams talks about concerns that Senate Bill 202 provides new obstacles to the ballot that will end up restricting the vote for some in Georgia. We'll talk a little bit more about the counterpoint of view in a second, but let's listen to what Stacey Abrams told reporters earlier this week. The vernacular way of putting it is more people in the water does not mean there are fewer sharks. The barriers to access are real. SB 202 is continuing to harm voters, and it is continuing unabated. 
And Patricia, that's what Stacey Abrams said in response to basically, we have soaring turnout, more than a million people have already cast early ballots. Republicans and others are pointing saying, hey, if there is voter suppression, why are so many people voting? Her counter to that is just because there's people voting doesn't mean there's issues. Yeah. And her campaign and other Democratic campaigns um, have invested millions of dollars in educating voters, telling them how to vote, when to vote. Don't please only consider mail-in voting. Please consider going to early vote in person in order to make sure that your ballot is counted. If there's any problems, it gives you time to resolve those problems. I was out with a Democratic door knocker earlier this week, and he uh, was very, very focused on getting those people who are answering their doors to go vote early. And that was a huge piece of his message to these people opening the doors, not just um, go vote and go vote for Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock, but do it early, do it in person. Log on to this website. You'll see exactly where you can go tomorrow. You can take your family. You know, so it's been a huge piece of their message. So Abrams' point is um, the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence of voter suppression here. And to talk to Lauren Grow-Wargo, she refers to the Republicans' bill as both SB 202 and verbatim, she calls it Governor Kemp's voter suppression bill in casual conversation, Governor Kemp's voter suppression bill. So they very much believe that SB 202 has embedded in it obstacles to voting, but they also know that they cannot afford to just say that there are obstacles to voting. In their opinion, they have to really show their voters exactly what they need to do to avoid those obstacles. Before I get to Kemp's response to that, I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more about your trip with the uh, with the canvasser, how it was his birthday recently, right? Yes, it was seventy fifth birthday. Seventy fifth birthday is out there knocking on he doors. Was, yes, Philip Friedman, and he is so fascinating. He actually is from Minnesota, lives in Minnesota, but was so taken with the Georgia races during the runoff campaign between twenty twenty one. He made calls for the two senators from his home in Minnesota, and then he said, "You know, on the morning of January sixth, looks like everything's doing great." It looks like these two guys are going to win. My work is done here. He said, and then January 6th happened and he felt like I can no longer just be a volunteer. I need to get engaged. I need to go work in a state. He ended up coming to Georgia. He moved to Georgia in June. He's been living in an Airbnb. He's been knocking on doors for the Georgia Democratic Party and he's one of their paid canvassers. They have a very elaborate turnout operation and he is just one of the people who felt drawn to these races to keep the Senate in Democratic hands, to sort of push back against what he saw on January 6th. He feels like that's the right way to get himself engaged to do that. And then also he really felt like Stacey Abrams becoming governor would be a piece of history that he would like to be a part of. So really a fascinating time to spend with him. And it's so hard for us to capture how important these grassroots machines are to mobilizing the votes, right? Because we talk about polls and we talk about ads and we talk about campaign events, but it's this on the ground work that is so instrumental and it's so hard to capture too, right? It's so hard for us to just, you know, it's hard to explain the depth and breadth of, of these machines in stories. We know that Republicans have tried to play catch up. They know that the GOP is at a disadvantage to the Democratic ground game. And they've been trying to catch up for years now. And they feel like they're there. You know, they're confident. Governor Kemp talks about it. They're confident that they've invested so much of his campaign finances into building this machine, this GOP side of the machine. But Democrats have had this edge. And it's not like they're just knocking on random doors. They've got a very sophisticated, both parties have a very sophisticated turnout machine 
where they're going in some cases for the lowest hanging fruit first. They're going for the most likely Democratic voters. They can tell if you voted early or not, right? Sometimes there's an app. Yeah, there's an app on their phones. They load up this app. It's called the minivan canvassing app. You can look on your phone, look at a map of the neighborhood you're walking. Each home is delineated Democratic voter, likely Democratic voter, leans Republican, has voted, has not voted, registered, is not registered, has been contacted by the campaign, has not been contacted by the campaign. I mean, the amount of data available is unbelievable. So then it Mm -hmm. gives those door knockers and canvassers literally the roadmap of where to go, when to do it, who is most likely to be there and most likely to be responsive to your message, depending on which message you're trying to deliver. Um, It also saves them a lot of time because they know who's already voted. They don't have to be knocking on random doors and be like, oops, never mind. You know, they sort of yeah. know where their time is best used, and that's really helped them maximize their results as well. And they use proprietary algorithms too, beyond all the, the the public data. You know, there's a New York Times story about basically the use of cell phone data to show how often folks left their homes during coronavirus lockdowns. That they use to see if they were more likely to be Republican or Democrat. They use other available data based on your searches and search engines. And I'm not talking about the campaigns. I'm just saying this is used in general by some of the organizations out there. And we don't have access to exactly the formulas they're using. But I've been told it's as sophisticated as as Amazon might use to target, you know, potential buyers for certain products, right? So it's not to say that they're kind of knocking on random doors. And once they get the lower hanging food out of the way, once they get the folks who are most likely to vote, once those folks have voted, then they might start going after the folks that are less likely to vote, that who have skipped midterm elections, who often don't vote, um, even maybe in presidential years, but have there's some sort of data point that shows that they might lean Democratic or lean Republican. So you were right in the middle of that. And I can't yeah. wait to read your column about it. That's exactly right. You know, one other um, quick piece of information that I found most interesting. So Kelly Loeffler has started her own voter mobilization group called Greater Georgia. The group, the universe of voters that they are focused on are those 339,000 Republicans who voted in 2020 and did not vote in 2021. And that's sort of like their entire world. And they know where those people live, know how to reach them, know when to reach them, know if they voted or not. And as much as the voter suppression argument is mobilizing Democrats, the SB202, everything's fine now argument is what Republicans are using. They are using the argument that, uh, well, vote, uh, you know, those elections might not have been safe. You didn't feel like they were safe before, but now they've passed this bill and um, your vote will be counted. And so it's the other side of the coin of that argument that they're using and feel like that's effective for them as well. Let's listen to Governor Kemp talk about exactly that at a campaign stop in Claxton. It's easy to vote and hard to cheat in our state. And now Stacey Abrams is changing her story again because she's gained financially from this. I mean, she's acting like the lawsuit that they just lost was a win for her. So this speaks to Stacey Abrams' group Fair Fight Action, which filed a far-reaching lawsuit that was rejected by a federal judge just a few weeks ago. Kemp and, and others are, are saying that that basically validated their approach to election law changes in Georgia. So this is certainly an issue we will continue to cover. Our colleague, Mark Nisi is all over that. He's already written a number of analysis pieces. He has more to come. Patricia, before we wrap up, I'm going to talk quickly about Herschel Walker's big guest at one of his latest campaign rallies. I was up in Rome and his guest was Marjorie Taylor Greene. And it's not that surprising. They're both Donald Trump favorites. They're both favorites of the MAGA crowd. They're both Republicans, of course. 
But to me, it stood out because we've not seen Marjorie Taylor Greene on the campaign trail with other statewide Republican candidates. He cer- she certainly has not been anywhere around Governor Kemp, at least, uh, you know, for their direct campaign events. You know, they've, they've been at the same Republican gatherings, but not on the campaign trail together, nor with Chris Carr, nor with John King, nor with Brad Raffensperger. This rift in the Georgia Republican Party that we've talked about and written about so much over the last year continues. And it was striking to me that, you know, it just reminded me, well, we I'd be shocked if we see Governor Kemp anywhere close to Marjorie Taylor Greene with an election this close. But Herschel Walker is going for a different crowd while Brian Kemp is trying to expand the map, trying to get suburban voters, trying to get more black voters, Indian American voters, uh, Hispanic voters, voters who typically might not support Republicans. He's, he's trying to run the score really on Stacey Abrams with polls showing him with a significant lead between five and 10 points. Whereas Herschel Walker's neck and neck with Raphael Warnock. And right now he just needs that base. He's just, he is just going back for the GOP base that he has not won over yet. And he hopes folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene can help him do that. Yeah, you're exactly right. He's running just a totally different race than Brian Kemp, and it's fascinating to see it. And Marjorie Taylor Greene is a great example of that. She is the superstar for those Trump Republicans, along with Herschel Walker, probably. And there was a really great quote in our coverage from that event with Marjorie Taylor Greene and Herschel Walker. And it was a woman voter up in Rome who said, we need Margie and we need Herschel. These are the two people we need in the Senate. And again, that's going after those 339,000 Republican voters who did not vote in the runoff, but did vote in the general election. They need to activate those voters. They need to get them energized and going to the polls, feeling like they've got a good reason to be there. And as much as Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't have a, she has an incredibly conservative district, but that is where Republicans run up their numbers in these statewide races. So for him to be out there with her, given the race that he's running, makes sense. We also heard him on the stump changing his tune a little bit, just sharpening his message against Raphael Warnock almost night and day from where he started this campaign when uh, the Republicans, I think, had agreed we are going to acknowledge that Raphael Warnock is a nice person, but he's got bad policies. By the time he was up in Rome this week, he was uh, saying that Raphael Warnock is a liar. He's a Marxist. And uh, this is sort of an existential threat that they need to get Republicans out to the poll to stop the damage that he says Raphael Warnock is doing. Very good point, Patricia. That is about all the time we have for today's show. Coming up on Friday's episode, we'll answer your questions from the listener mailbag, which you can now call into. It's the Politically Georgia podcast hotline. You can call anytime. Leave a question. Janie B is waiting for your inquiry right now. Operators are standing by, as they used to say. Um, You can call that number 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. We'll play back your question answer it right here on the podcast. Let us hear from you. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, whenever big news breaks. We'll see you soon on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. 
I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,